0: Hello everyone, welcome back to the Early Education Show. We're here with episode 84, if you can believe it. I'm Liam. I'm Lisa. And just the two of us this week. Unfortunately, Leanne couldn't make it, but I'm sure she'll be back uh, on the podcast next week. Um, The main topic for tonight is going to be an interview with Charlene Smith from the Mitchell Institute talking about their new report on uh, cultivating capabilities in early childhood. Education. I wonder if I can keep saying cultivating capabilities well throughout the rest of that interview. I guess we'll find out. Um, <laughs> we re- we really appreciate um, Charlene coming on the show. We should say, I guess, a couple of things. One, the Mitchell Institute do some fantastic work uh, in the early childhood space in terms they of promoting... Do, they don't do, don't they? Yeah, we mentioned, I think we'll mention that in the interview. But um, we should also um, mention... That, you know Charlene is also a patreon of the the show she she sort of shows
1: so uh, she's got very good taste
0: she's got very it? good taste so um I guess we want to you know thank uh charlene for that now i'm probably too embarrassed to say it when we're, when we're talking to her but um just probably a good reminder to everyone if you know if you, you for some reason you think this show is worth supporting you can go to patreon.com forward slash early edu show i can probably sneakily tease i i, I am very aware this we haven't really done much extra stuff for people who pay um i am planning to change that in the next few weeks i'd like to do a, a little project that'll be just for people who subscribe on on patreon so keep your keep you know uh Keep uh, watching out for what happens there. Um, just before we go to the the interview with Charlene, um, I want to talk about a couple of um, interesting reports that came out this week that are quite big uh, for for children and for the sector. Um, one is the uh, the UNICEF Australia have released their children's report, which is part of the child which is developed by the child rights. Um, task force um, under UNICEF Australia. Um, it's it, it's confronting reading. It does talk about a lot of um, the issues Australia's children are facing and how you know a lot of children are being left behind, particularly in terms of youth health, uh, mental health and wellbeing. Um, some of the statistics are truly alarming. I was really fortunate today, as we record this on Thursday, to go to the press club to hear Anne Sherry, who's the chair of UNICEF Australia, formally launch the report um, and talk to a few people there from from UNICEF, uh, it, it's an amazing report that includes, you know, direct um, uh, quotes and and handwritten accounts from children about their experiences. It's it's definitely worth a read, and I'll include the link uh, to that. Um, at, at the same time, on the same day today, and uh, the commissioner for. for for children, Um, Megan Mitchell, was actually at the the launch of the UNICEF report as well today. Um, She also launched her report to the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child. Um, I haven't had a good chance to to go through a read through that yet, but it uh, covers a lot of the same ground. And really, um, both of these uh, reports are looking at Australia's obligation under the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. Um, And I guess the the best summary you could come up with is uh, some improvement required. For Australia, <laughs> what a shock!
1: Funny about that,
0: yes. Who would have guessed? Um, so we'll include links to both those reports. They are um, definitely worth a read, uh, and if you can get your hands on a copy, go for it. But we'll uh, we'll be taking a very short musical interlude, and then be back with Charlene Smith from the Mitchell Institute. So stay with us. Alright, we're very excited now to be joined by Charlene Smith from the Mitchell Institute. Finally, we've been trying to get people from the Mitchell Institute on for, forever on the podcast and we've had you and Megan in the last uh, sort of two weeks. So I should say welcome, Charlene, to the Early Education Show. <laughs>
2: Thank you so much for having me. We're, we're very has, excited to you, be involved. You've been on before, uh, haven't you? Yes, Lisa. Yeah, I, I was lucky to be interviewed by Lisa at the... Um, early years forum down here in Melbourne earlier in the year when we um caught up after the panel
0: I think this yeah, is the I first big solo thing for you though shall this is you but this is where you will you will appear in the title of the podcast that's that's the important yes. distinction for me
2: this is my moment to shine this is it <laughs> um well
0: so uh what do you uh, tell us a bit about yourself what's your background
2: yeah my name's um Charlie Smith. I'm the policy program director at the Mitchell Institute, which is a policy um, education policy think tank at Victoria University. I've been with the Mitchell for about a year, and I look after the policy team there. Um, so my role is essentially it's one of those dream jobs where you get to work with a really high performing team of awesome humans, and I um, I get to help. Our policy fellows and analysts come up with ideas for reports and um, workshop with them to get them from ideas to things that get launched out into the big, bad world. And, um, yeah, before I came to Mitchell, I was with Eracy, the Australian Research Alliance for Children and Youth, up in Canberra where you guys are situated. Um, I was with Eracy for six years and um, that was when I I caught the fire in my belly to dedicate my life and my career to looking at ways that we can have better systems for young Australians and um, how we could do better as a country for the, the health, well-being, development, um, learning, all of the above of, of our kids, because we're a, a very wealthy country and we can afford to be doing better for our, our young people.
0: Yes. Aww,
1: what a lovely statement.
0: We're very glad you did devote yourself to all those things, Charlene. Um, <laughs> wonderful. Now, I, I don't think there's too many people who are at least regular listeners of the podcast who don't know who the Mitchell Institute. Are. And we did have Megan on uh, just a couple of episodes ago. But um, you know, what do you t- tell us? Uh, you know, again, just about the Mitchell Institute and what you do and um, what what you guys do. Uh, that's pretty special and amazing.
2: Well, everything we do is special, obviously. And amazing. obviously. Um, what. <clears throat> What we do is we have a look at the education policy environment and we look for areas where the system isn't quite perhaps living up to its full potential and um, especially areas where there may be inequities or... um, issues that are meaning that not all young Australians have the same opportunities as one another in their educational journeys. So over the last couple of years, that has brought us to a focus majorly in early childhood education and care uh, and the preschool slash kinder policy conversation. Uh, We've also done quite a bit of work in the uh, end of schooling, the kind of school-to-work transitions, um, the transitions from... Uh, senior schooling into either tertiary education or vocational education or to the workforce. Um, we try to look across the whole spectrum of education from kind of birth to 24 and my particular focus is, well, as as you both would know, um, my passions for the early years. Um, but we we try to be across the whole system as much as possible and working for... Better opportunities for all young
0: Australians. Well, we totally understand your bias for the early showing. You're in, you're in good company here. <coughs> That's okay. Um, really? Def- yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
2: Aren't I am the too late education show.
0: No, that's a, that's a spin-off we're planning for later. But, um, oh, okay. So, uh, we, look, as if we need an excuse to have the Mitchell Institute on, but we do have a, a good reason this time. You, you've recently released a, a new report. Um, people may remember you've, Mitchell Institute has contributed some great stuff to the discussion around, particularly the early years, so two years are better than one. It's probably the most well-known one. You've recently uh, uh released report which is titled The Capable Country and it's about this idea of capabilities in education. Do you want to sort of give us a big picture summary of this report before we sort of delve into some of the details?
2: Sure. So this report um, emerged from a an international fellowship that we had with the wonderful Professor Bill Lucas from the University of Winchester in the UK. So Bill's a professor of learning and he's the director of the Centre for Real World Learning at the University of Winchester. And his particular passion in the world of learning is about capabilities, how important it is that our education systems set up all young people with not just with the knowledge and the skills they need to get on in life, but also with the capabilities to draw all those skills together and apply them to um, all of the things that are kind of going to come up uh, that young people are going to come up against as they navigate their futures. So about oh gosh, probably around about this time last year, we first started having conversations with Bill about the report that was going to come out at the end of his um, time with the Mitchell Institute, and he had this idea for um, for presenting a kind of the Melbourne Declaration was about ten years ago, and in the Melbourne Declaration, Australia said we're going to commit to. Um, an education system that grows capable learners who are confident and creative individuals, and how are we going on that goal? And um, one of my very early um, slightly uppity um, interjections was to say, well, we've got to start it from the early years and take it all the way through to post-school because it can't just be about school. And, um, yeah, I- I remember Megan saying, well, you can work with Bill on that one then. So, so I kind of got <laughs> myself in um, because I really found that to me when I was reading some of the stuff that Bill had written about capabilities, I was like, these are all the things that people in early childhood development know and build and that are just core to quality early learning environments. It's um, It's something that in early childhood, learning, development, care, all of those things combine to foster these skills and capabilities in young people. And it's so, um, I wanna say it's so caught a good practice in early years. And it seems to me that um, the early childhood sector does a really beautiful job of not sacrificing anything in terms of quality or content, but being sure that that the approaches and the pedagogies are suitable to encourage children to um, to build their capabilities, to become attentive and responsive, to learn how to take turns, um, learn how to play together, have conversations, all of those saw, things that are so. A hang on, sorry. I think I'll just keep me,
1: going. My- I think my mind is kind of blown here. Are you actually saying that maybe the school sector could learn something from the early education sector?
2: <clears throat> I do. <laughs> and, actually, and, and actually, Lisa, I will be so radical as to say something from the early education and care sector because I think what we see as young people go from, um, if you think about what people know young children need from birth, um, people know that a baby needs to be fed, clothed and cuddled, needs to have its nappy changed, needs to be put to bed. So it needs all those caregiving things. That's the kind of core things that everyone understands a tiny little baby needs. People don't necessarily understand a tiny little baby also needs to learn and to develop their um, their rapidly growing brains, that this is such a core time, those kind of first thousand days is such a vital time when all of the... Um, Synaptic growth is happening and all of the new connections are happening in the brain and children are first learning how to communicate. They're first learning how to recognise emotions in other people and in themselves. They're, they're absolute, they're not just sponges um, in those really early days. They're also um, receptive, responsive human beings. So from, from the very earliest days, we know that children need education and care. Um, those of us who are true believers know that in our core. But you see as as, as little people progress from those really early days through into kind of the early years of school and beyond into high school, uh, senior secondary and even beyond that, while of course it's so important that they become more sophisticated, more independent, more able to, to think critically, more able to problem solve on their own, more able to make their own choices. All of that stuff is so important, of course. But as that happens, it seems like we just take the care out altogether. And I think that part of what's really important in the capabilities that we're talking about, the ones that we're hearing from industry that are missing, are things like communication skills, things like the ability to work in a team, things that are really about relating to other human beings that we know grow in an environment of relationship and so I think it's really important to think of how capabilities are cultivated not just in terms of a kind of an instruction because you can't just stand at the front of a class and cultivate someone's capabilities it doesn't happen Um, they need to be lived they need to be learned through doing and by doing together and yes absolutely I believe that the whole education system, could learn from the ECEC system, which beautifully enmeshes those those approaches to ensure that children are given all that they need to, to develop holistically and well.
0: Yeah, I think one of the interesting things in the report, Charlene, is you sort of call out the early years learning framework in particular sort of is, is kind of already based around that idea of capabilities, yeah. isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think... It's interesting to me that in when you see media debates around say the school curriculum in the kind of in the academic years, um, so often the debate is about, well, you know we can't be focusing on all of this this things like creativity and problem solving and 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 um perseverance. They are they're not the things that school's for. School's for reading, writing, arithmetic. It's for learning your times tables and it's for um for, you know, passing tests and getting on in life. But you don't hear that about early childhood education and care. You hear the absolute opposite. The um when naysayers say that we shouldn't be giving say two years of preschool to young kids they're like let the children play they don't need to be sitting in classrooms being drilled in literacy and numeracy so for some reason there's this ridiculous arbitrary line that people have in their minds between the end of preschool and the beginning of the foundation year whether that's prep or kindergarten depending on what part of australia you're in that that you know care and play up until the day that you walk through the school gate and then focus on academics when actually, if we're going to see truly capable, competent lifelong learners, then we need to to retain that beautiful, holistic approach
1: throughout the um, education journey. It's funny too, because it's that's one of the things that mothers kind of seem to find in the transition from early education to school so difficult. Mm that they're not as convinced that their child will be cared for in the same way, same holistic way that they mm. have been in, in their early years settings. And often yeah. early years teachers say we want schools to be more prepared for the children we're sending them rather than us having to prepare children.
2: Yeah, you know, Absolutely. To, and if you think about the, I've I've read some really interesting research um, earlier this year, and I can't remember the uh, the author off the top of my head. I'm so sorry to the author. Um, I'll email it to you later. Um, but talking about how when we're when we're thinking about children entering school, rather than thinking about what's the right age for kids to start school, we need to be thinking about what are the developmental needs of children, and that actually when you're taking a child, say from an early childhood education and care setting into a school setting, what you're doing is you're quite abruptly reducing the amount of personal contact that that child has with an attentive caregiver just in terms of the ratio jump that happens yeah. and um, the hours away from, from the family home and all of those things that that are really quite a dramatic social and emotional change. It's not just this kind of, okay, well, you're you're ready to learn new times tables now so off to school um at the real at that real beginning transition to school time i think we have a bit more understanding about what it looks like to to shift from one context to another but i don't know that we're necessarily um doing fantastically across the board at it
0: i think that's probably a good question for me when i um uh this kind of parallels for me a little bit the discussion that we often get into in the sector and the community about school readiness and I oh. you know I get a bit annoyed at that term and I for me school readiness should mean schools being ready for children so when I see a report like this on capabilities and how we can support children's uh, you know sort of cultivating of those capabilities my immediate reaction is well uh, you know our, our schools and our teachers and our, our early childhood professionals as well I do they have the capability to supporting children who are demonstrating these capabilities? Is this about children's capabilities, exactly. or is this actually about professionals' capabilities?
2: Absolutely, I think you're, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. And I, I have a world of admiration for anyone who can teach a class that um, impresses me no end. I've done a bit of tutoring at university level, and. I'm not a natural born teacher let's just say and I think our teachers are incredible experts in what they do all day every day but I think you can't be an expert in something you haven't been given the expertise in and I suspect that throughout our processes and there's a bit about this in the report that we don't at the moment have um, a requirement in our um, kind of qualification accreditation systems that requires that these capabilities be taught to would-be teachers. Um, And with the kind of rapidly um, transforming world of work and technology and information and everything that's going on, um, I think some of the the, the structures and the systems that are notoriously hardest to shift in this country are, f- for example, universities where the way things have been done has been excellent and world-leading but things have changed so quickly that um, they're not necessarily as nimble to adjust and, and the instructors at every level don't necessarily themselves know how to teach someone how to teach someone um, and as you go up as you go up that that hierarchy of training and um, and capacity building you don't necessarily have that across the board and that's one of the really um, one of the reasons that we we call in the report for some long term commitment from government to keeping capabilities on the agenda and that um, as a, a core part of what we do across our education system but also and really probably more importantly. Um, Support for capacity building, for mentoring and coaching, and networking opportunities, so that um, those practitioners who are really great at this—and there's so many of them—who are great at at interweaving um, content capabilities, skills, practice, um, lived examples, all of that stuff in their approaches to teaching—and um, for those who are not as confident to do that, just as part of their daily practice. Um, if they could be supported to have ongoing professional development and um, and all of those things to enhance their confidence, I think we could we could really maintain this really quite forward thinking education system that
1: we do have. Could I just ask you? We've had uh, Liam and I, and you obviously, because you wrote it, have got the advantage of knowing what the capabilities that you're talking about are. Can we probably just... should have defined
2: that at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Whoops. <laughs> yeah. What, guess... what capabilities were you looking at, and what are they? And in... tell us about the capabilities. Yeah. So, for the purpose of d-
2: purposes of this report, because we were specifically talking about the Australian education system, and particularly how it's um, the kind of reforms and efforts that have happened since the Melbourne Declaration. We've framed the the thinking for this report in terms of the four capabilities that are listed alongside literacy, numeracy and ICT in the national curriculum, so the National Foundation to Ten curriculum. And those capabilities are critical, critical and creative thinking, uh, personal and social capability, ethical understanding and intercultural understanding. So they're all... Oh, the concepts of how you think and how you get along in the world and with other people, as opposed to the content of what you learn, it's um, it's the way that you, you learn and the way that you demonstrate that you've learned things and the way that you can then apply those to your life. Um, you'll hear from those um, classifications that three of the four of those are very um, interactionist very human capabilities so the personal and the social the ethical understanding the intercultural understanding all of which recognize that in order to be successful in life and throughout your learning journey it's becoming more and more apparent that the things that that humans need to be able to do are the things that computers can't do and that's be people and get on with each other and find ways to collaborate and communicate and respect one another. Um, So you might have heard capabilities referred to as 21st century skills or as attributes or competencies, non-cognitive skills, which I hate, um, soft skills, traits. They're all these kind of buzzwords that different people use for different um, purposes. But basically what they're called in the Australian curriculum and what we call them in our report is the capabilities.
0: Thanks for that, uh, Charlene. So, um, and I know you sort of touched on these uh, in the, the, the in the last question we were talking about, but the report also I think has some specific recommendations for governments. You obviously included long term planning there, but do you want to run through, I guess, what you're suggesting the government really needs to do to to I guess improve the um, cultivation of of the cultivation. Of, I was about to say the cultivation of yes. capabilities. Let's go cul- <laughs> cultivation of capabilities in education settings.
2: Yeah, so I think one of the things that really drives me, aside from, um, as we spoke of earlier, my dedication to getting the message out about how important the early years are for learning and development, the other thing that really drives me and drives the work at the Mitchell Institute is the idea of educational opportunity for all. And while many of us may have grown up in environments or um, households where the capabilities were something that just happened because of um, the resources that were available to us, the activities that we were able to access, the relationships we had with adults and peers and siblings and friends. Um, But the reality is that for a lot of Australian kids, their home environments are not necessarily um, going to be a great place for them to learn how to get on with others. Um, they might not have access to extracurricular activities that that have a um, have a cost att- attached to them. They might not live in areas that have all the opportunities that kids in different parts of the country have. So, what we really think is important is that the government commits to long term commitment to keeping capabilities on the agenda for. Um, national frameworks and curricula so that the whole education system is configured to ensure that all Australian children have the opportunity to build these capabilities in their learning journeys. Um, It's one of the reasons that we're such advocates for the um, two years of universal preschool. We know that the first five years is such a, a vital time for when when children's executive function, their self-regulation, their behavioural and emotional regulation develops. But not all children have the opportunity to um, to be in environments that really support those things to develop and grow in the best way. And the best way that we as a society can ensure that the most children have the most opportunity to learn as possible is through universal provision of services and um, and systems like like preschool and, um, and through the schooling system. So, yeah, one of our concerns is that if, if for example, um, capabilities were to be de-emphasised in future iterations of the national curriculum at the school level, um, what a consequence probably would be is that children in positions of privilege would still be able to build and grow and develop these skills because of the opportunities that they have. And other other students who are already disadvantaged by their circumstances would have that compounded in acquiring and nurturing these skills that we know are going to be so important for their lives in their futures. So that's why we have the, the quite strong call for a long-term commitment to keeping these capabilities front and centre of the agenda in learning and um, as I mentioned earlier, a support for the workforce um, to be able to design and deliver good professional development opportunities for all educators. And we also think it's important to think about how we measure and assess learning in this country. Um, I, I, I know that e c e c is not guilty of this, um, but the schooling system and the the post schooling system so often, often is about teaching to tests and tests that are oh, to not be fair,
1: that's what they're asked to do
2: exactly exactly so that's what what um what we would re what we would really like to see is a rethinking of what we measure how we measure why we measure what are we measuring and what 's the purpose of it and um Are we looking at kind of summative assessments that say, okay, you you completed year 12, or are we looking at the more formative assessments of, okay, this is how you're going in this area and this is how we can support you to to do better? And um, so we think it's important to start thinking about how we can start incorporating measurement and assessment of capabilities within our learning frameworks. Um, I think it's really um, one of the, I think one of the best kind of point-in-time measures that we have as a country is the early development census that we take every few years um, in the first year of, of compulsory schooling. And one of the reasons I really like that, the AEDC, is because it is a holistic measure of wellbeing and development. It's not just, can you pass a test? It's also, how are you going with your fine motor skills and your, and your gross motor skills? It's also, how are you going with communication? How are you going socially and emotionally? it's a it's a measure of of development and capabilities and i i think it could be a a good starting point to think from about how we can give a a better support to children as they proceed through their education and um yeah have measurement and, and assessment be something that benefits children doesn't just classify them
1: take one step back a bit and tell like talk about how we actually develop capabilities in children sure
2: i mean i feel like i'm 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 a bit of a noob telling people who know much better better than me um uh the steps that that would be, yeah, except um, you
1: know what, sometimes people need to hear that what you're doing is exactly <laughs> what you want the rest of the education system to be doing.
2: Yeah, so what we've we've actually pulled together a, a little suite of kind of one-page fact sheets classified by ages, which I know can be a bit controversial because we don't want to look like we're saying um, key agent stage, ticker box, um, everybody should fit into the same mould. But these are just kind of... Um, handy overviews of what capabilities look like at different ages. So in the early years, um, the kind of zero to two one, we're saying that uh, uh, an infant, a zero to two-year-old, can notice the world around them. They can recognize the people who care for the, for them. They're starting to pick up on words and meanings and, and they're seeing actions and reactions. So when I say, oh, you just beautiful and do a big smiley face, they're learning to smile back at me and and recognize that that person going oh aren't you so beautiful with a big smiley face is happy and, and not feels
1: joy actually mad or
2: <laughs> yeah that they're showing joy to me that they that they have affection for me and I might not have the words to communicate and understand that yet but I'm starting to recognize um, actions and reactions in other people and so some of the ways that we know really help really small children to to learn and pick up um, capabilities like um, really early pre literacy, pre numeracy, early language skills are things like talking with them, um, singing songs, making eye contact, playing games, being over expressive in our emotions, um, modelling what we want to happen, um, letting little kids play with tactile things. So these all sound so simple and so obvious to. People who do them as part of their bread and butter, but I've heard I've heard stories of people who who don't think that infants are learning at all, and it's like oh, they are. Everything you do, every interaction with an infant is an opportunity for their brain to.
0: To light up and grow. Yeah, can I? I mean, I don't want to um, cut you off there, um, Charlene, but I think you've actually hit on a really interesting point there, which is we we don't actually we we are at risk sometimes in the sector. I feel like we've been very nice to the early childhood sector this interview, which is great because we do do some amazing <coughs> things. One thing I think we do occasionally miss is um, really focusing on the, the really simple, everyday. Uh, things that can really work and can really, really improve things for children. We, we're at risk sometimes. I think a lot of this is the market-based model. We, we kind of think every activity has to be the most mm. amazing activity ever designed or it has to be Reggio inspired or if it's not, you know, meeting a certain, you know, template that's been placed online on Facebook somewhere. Exactly what you're talking about <laughs> is is the key. Yeah. And, and I don't think we spend enough time valuing and celebrating the, the the simple things that seem simple but can have a pr- profound impact on children
2: mm. yeah absolutely and that everyone can do um i th- these these little like one pages we've done aren't just for educators they're also for for parents for families for any any adult who's interacting with a small child can make eye contact with that child can can do a serve and return conversation where the child's blowing a raspberry and you blow the raspberry back or the child makes that first kind of aguagu little sound, and you go aguagu, and engage in a conversation with them, and show them that that we we interact as people, that we're social creatures. Um, all of that stuff is just part and parcel of how little babies learn how to get on in the world. And um, as you know, once we get into the kind of toddler years, the the three to fives. And kids are first starting to really actually be capable of making friends and following instructions and playing with other kids and um, and they're getting those communication skills going. Those are the years when you can be a bit more explicit in in um, guiding them in the development of these capabilities by helping them to notice and understand other people's feelings. So building that kind of empathy and understanding um, that's going to be core to things like ethical and intercultural understanding as they go through school, um, letting them see that there's different ways to think about things, that pe- there's people who look different and sound different and smell different and feel different in the world. Um, they're becoming more confident more expressive and um, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Dr. Laura Jana from the States. Um, she's a, she's a paediatrician and a former businesswoman who oh. talks a lot about how important the early years are for essentially what we're talking about right now. And she said she thinks it's just this great tragedy that what we start doing when children are about three is we start trying to teach the why out of children. We, we start trying to quench their curiosity and little three-year-olds are like, why, but why, but why, but why? And, and she says, like, why do, we, why do we tell them to stop saying why? Cause because that curiosity. it's really annoying. I know, it really, really does. <laughs> like, I have a seven and a nine-year-old and I can remember the whys. But I think it's that natural, beautiful inquisitiveness of, of the child is such an opportunity to, to help them. Okay, I don't know why, but let's figure it out together. Um, to go on a learning journey with them.
1: Um, yeah. Wonderful. And that is, a, again, like that's what a true teacher does. Yeah. Liam, can I put on my best, um, uh, uh, you know, interviewing kind of hard question, Lee Sales sort of voice for I'm a minute? You do it.
0: Go, uh, <laughs> please go for it, Lisa. I'm, I'm <laughs> intrigued to imagine, hear As, long as, as long as you're not asking me any questions, that's fine. <laughs>
1: I'm worried that I've read the capabilities before in two kind of contexts. One is in, in those kind of papers where industry says, this is what the school system is doing wrong. You're not producing enough people with the skills we need. Mm-hmm. And the other one is in those kind of newspaper articles where, you know, the problems with millennials when they get into the <laughs> workforce so why, like, I mean, do you see the resemblance to those things? And if so, why are we trying to promote them? Is it, like, you know, is this really just a push to give industry the nice little productive units of labour that they need? Was that lease sales enough?
2: It was. A, it was a little bit lease sales, but it was. It was kind of fair enough as well because. <laughs> I've kind of struggled with this same question because I'm like, are we talking about kind of churning out um, future social capital for the capitalist machine and is that what this is all about? Um, and ask myself that hard question when I'm thinking about this, like why do we think it matters? And as I've reflected on that through the writing process of the report, I've I've just thought to myself, well, no, it matters because when you just read what what these capabilities are, we're talking about problem solving, being able to think critically, being able to be creative, to communicate. We're talking about the kind of... When you say them out loud as as a kind of a um, a conglomeration of concepts, none of these is some kind of radical... um, out of the blue, picked off, a, picked off a tree and said, this is the newfangled thing to do. None of these things are newfangled things to do. These are all things that have been a part of how humans have progressed as a society for hundreds of years. Um, and they've always been something, if you look at... I guess both ends of the education system. If you look at the early years, and if you look at the um, the kind of technical and vocational training spheres, we've always had things like um, trade trade guilds, where people were mentored up in a profession, and they were they were shown how to do things, and they worked together with a with an expert or a master craftsman to learn their craft. And it wasn't just um, come in and be taught by someone standing at the front of a room with a chalkboard it was let's do this together and let's develop it and um so you'll see the beautiful things like the Sistine Chapel ceiling which people sorry if I'm going to burst anyone's bubble and I don't know if you know that my PhD is actually in art history but there's, <laughs> there's no there's no way Michael Anjo painted that by himself that that was a beautiful collaborative effort and collaboration has been part of how humans have produced grandeur for centuries. And so I think, yes, you can see that that it's an, a business imperative, but I think it's also a human imperative because we want our young people to grow up with the ability to get on with each other, with the ability to work together with um just with that uh, that capacity to properly communicate and to be able to pick up new things, to be curious, to be uh, flexible, to be agile and innovative, as our Prime Minister One Step Removed would have said.
0: Um, well, how did that work out for him, though, shall we?
2: I know, I know, I know, but we're not really agile and innovative enough as a society,
0: <laughs> I don't think,
2: perhaps. Yeah. Um, oh, We're not talking politics here and we don't need to, but... I just really, I, I take your point, Lisa, that it sounds like we're saying um, do this because businesses want it, but I think it's more businesses recognise that this should be part of what any person who's had a well-rounded education comes out the other end of their education with. They don't just come out with a set of facts and figures, they come out with um, the skills to to live fit a happier, more productive lives.
1: Okay, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. Do we think then <laughs> that... You're not convinced? No, not 100%, just because it feels like a bit of a deficit model in a sense. It's like, yeah, well, yeah, we're graduating 100%. children that aren't capable enough, Yeah. But I wonder if it's... Has there been a change? Did we used to develop capabilities... The kind of capabilities you're talking about, and don't any more.
2: I think there's something to be to be said for, um, and I'm not I'm not a school educator. I wouldn't I wouldn't dare to um, judge what goes on in in school classrooms. But we hear quite a bit from the teaching profession about. Uh, a crowded curriculum and being stretched thin and having to teach to tests and I think that is something that is not that's not what it was like when I was going through school and I mean I'm, I'm old but I'm not that old. Um, these things like um, the regular standardized testing that we're putting kids through um, from earlier and earlier ages I think because these measures aren't being used to Necessarily improve practice or to to target better better responses for individual kids. what they're being used for is to to be a big stick to schools and say, "Okay, lift your performance or um, or else because they're not being used in a way that's actually useful and positive, I suspect that things are probably I, I suspect there maybe isn't room in our current system for educators to take the time to um to let learning sit and to become a a more interactive um positive experience for kids.
0: Mm. I think it's a really fascinating subject and I think it's it's, it's <laughs> but I think
2: we're we're well out of the early years. So. Yeah
0: well, <laughs> but I I I think it's a fascinating discussion because I think this is this is a very um tricky and sensitive point i think in the education sector as a whole which is we know so there are there are measures we know so we look at pisa in, in for the older years when we look at the adc the australian early development census we we know there are problems mm. but that's a tricky discussion if we're talking about well we i think we want to come down on a model where the children aren't the problem it's the it's the structure and systems that are around them and i think that's what the capability report's getting at and the way mm. I, I i really take lisa's point and, and that occurred to me as well Reading it. I I think the way I I tend to think about those things at the moment is that, um, you know, I approach, you know, as a teacher myself, the way I approach um, early education, I think the way I would approach uh, education full stop is that we're trying to, you know, grow and develop active and positive citizens of the world now. Um, Part of that citizenship for, for many people will include work. So I don't think there's necessary. I, I don't. To me, it doesn't necessarily need to be an either or. I think that, I think mm. the, the problem we have at the moment, I think, is that work tends to equate citizenship, and I think we just need to make sure that we see, you know, work, you know, fulfilling work as part of citizenship, which can include a whole range of other things. And I think capability can work um, absolutely know, across that.
2: And you'd be familiar with the the work of the Dunedin study in over across the ditch in New Zealand where the researchers, they're into like 40-something years in this longitudinal study of a really um, large representative cohort of a population um, in Dunedin, where they've been able to track people's trajectories through their lives from infancy until adulthood. And they found that if you measure self-regulation at the age of three that it is the best predictor for life outcomes on so many different things, not just level of education, but employment, health, wealth, happiness, well-being. There's, there's a whole gamut of stuff that, um, that that one little aspect of capability of self-regulation, self-control, emotional regulation, behavioural regulation, that if we can get that right with three-year-olds, then we're setting them up to be on a better path. Um, and of course and yeah absolutely Liam it's not just about will they be a good um tax paying citizen it's about will they be happy will they have relationship stability will they stay out of the criminal justice system will they have um all of the opportunities that that they should have
0: absolutely well Charlene, I feel like we've we've been pretty effective at picking your brain tonight. We really appreciate it. So I wanted to wrap up. So, you know, the, the report is quite broad. It, 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 as you sort of said, it covers the early years right up to, you know, that, that high school period. Um, if early, if the you know, if the early education professionals listening to this or anything like me, they'll have a big pile of reading material that, they, you know, they've got to get through. We've had some, even just this week, we've had a lot of really interesting reports on children's rights come out. But, you know, what... You know, give us the pitch now for why you think this is, this is really a great document for educators to, to read and, and go and have a think about.
2: I think it would be a great document for your early childhood educators to read because it acknowledges the work that they do and how important. Sorry, my seven year olds just joined me. Um, how important <laughs> the work they do is and how much of a difference it, it makes in setting kids up on a, on a lo- lifelong pathway of building and cultivating these capabilities. Um, I think it also is, it supports the idea that rich learning environments in those early years are essential for all children and that... Um, the The core documents that we have underpinning our early childhood education system here in Australia, the EylF and the the quality standards that they acknowledge and reflect the importance of things um, things beyond content learning that are offered to young children through early learning environments and yeah i I really believe that every child should have the opportunity to um, be enriched in their first five years and to, to learn with other children and to have the, the opportunity to, to break some rules and get in a bit of trouble and realise that there's boundaries and there's, there's good and bad behaviour and to, um, to find out what it's like to have to sit on the mat and be quiet for story time. Those experiences that teach you how to get on with others and get on in the world... Are such an important part of um, of early education, and early education really sets sets young people up for a lifetime of, of positive educational outcomes. Yeah, so I kind of blow your trumpet, um, and yeah, the Anytime. focus might not be yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's 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 very much a typical Mitchell look look across the the whole spectrum from throughout the um, education system. So specialists in er any area will probably see their area and go, oh, not enough attention to (laughs) mine. But, um, yeah, but our purpose is to give this kind of overview and snapshot of how we could have an education system that has a a through line from the early years until adulthood that um, prepares kids to be um, healthy, wealthy and wise as we were told when we were little about going to bed early.
0: <laughs> well, um, I'm, I'm loath to keep you any any longer, Shelly, because I think your, your seven-year-old uh, has, has indicated we've kept you for far too long already. But um, just before well, we... Well,
2: he should have been asleep before we started,
0: but, you All know... Right. I, I I know the feeling. But um the I, I just wanted to really quickly just have a chance to do a bit quick spook of a, a Mitchell Institute event coming up in Melbourne on November the fifteenth, which, you know, for some bizarre reason I'm assuming everyone else was unavailable. You invited me to come and
2: <laughs> we come have and a star started panel.
0: And me. Into... <laughs> um,
1: come oh, on. Liam, you actually are. You Spare know, me like... with
2: the false modesty.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know your shit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes. So we, the Mitchell Institute is putting on, is it the 15th of November? It is. It is. On, um, I
0: have flights booked, two weeks so I hope it is.
2: Yeah. So we will be hosting an evening forum with four fantastic speakers. Um, we've got the, the wonderful, wonderful early education shows, Liam. Um, we have Alice Gagnon from The Parenthood. And Kim, I want to say Davidson, but I might have forgotten her surname just while I'm talking Mm. to you, Davidson, from ECMS um, down here in Melbourne. And we also have uh, Professor Sheila Degatati from Macquarie University, who will be bringing to us kind of diverse perspectives from across the ECEC sector on what quality looks like in early childhood education. Um, Yeah, so we're looking forward to quite a robust and exciting panel discussion that's going to be facilitated for Rob Bolton uh sorry by Rob Bolton who's the um education editor at the Financial Review um and yeah very much looking forward to it and if anyone's keen to attend just get in touch and we should be able to squeeze you in and
0: It's or a we'll free in... it's a free event I think isn't
2: it It is indeed it's it's here in Melbourne um it's going to be held in the city so for further details just contact um the Mitchell Institute via Oh gosh what would be the best email
0: We'll put I the link down we'll, we'll put the link yeah, up in there, in the show notes and and I promise I'll I'll have learned to have said learn how to say cultivating culpabilities 3 oh, times no, fast by then
2: <laughs> You don't need to it's fine <laughs> All
0: right well Shelley, we really appreciate your time yeah, taking us through report. Thank you for coming and, uh, thank you That's to the Mitchell,
1: my great pleasure.
0: And thank you to the Mitchell Institute for continuing to put out these reports. You know, on on the education sector, and for they're really great. Food continuing
1: for thought. to care about our little tiny part of the uh, education sector. The
2: uh, uh, t- tiny, but so, 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 so important.
1: Oh,
0: like children oh. themselves,
2: really. <laughs> Indeed. <All right.
0: laughs> yes. Shelley, thank you very much for your time.
2: That was my pleasure.
0: You have been listening. To Education Show, hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Leanne McNicholas, and produced by Leanne McNicholas. Find us online at earlyeducationshow.com. And while you're there, it would be great if you could hit the Support the Show tab, where you can become a patron of the show and support us for as little as $1 a month. We really appreciate it. Get in touch with us at earlyedushow at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter with the username show. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast Store. This really helps other people find the show. See you next time.